0: good question, isn't it? What fills you? What fills you? I can relate to that guy in the video because uh, I was uh, at one of our life groups. Christina leads our one of our singles life groups, and I was there visiting with them this week, and we were talking about uh, getting along with God, spending quiet time with God. And one of the things I was sharing is that if that doesn't happen for me in the morning, if I don't kind of somehow pull away in the morning and spend some quality time with God, then my day just ramps up so fast. I mean, the momentum kicks in and emails and phone calls and meetings. And and uh, and and if I'm not careful, I can end up uh, just feeling kind of dry, kind of empty. And uh, so what's the thirst in your life? What are you thirsty for? I mean, we're all thirsty. We're all thirsty for something. Uh, and maybe you can relate it to physical thirst. Have you ever just been through this really like dying of thirst time in your life? Well, I'm from Arizona originally, and so in Arizona, it's hot, right? Very hot, blazing hot. And uh, in the Grand Canyon, if you've ever been there, especially in the summertime, it gets up to like 120 degrees down at the bottom of the canyon. My brother Matt and I, were uh, we decided we're going to hike across the Grand Canyon in one day. And uh, you can do that. It takes about 12 hours if you just hoof it really fast and just keep going. And so we started at actually the north rim of the Grand Canyon. It's about 8,000 elevation. And you just do, I don't know how many, but thousands of switchbacks to get to the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And then, of course, you look up and you're like, man, I got to make it all the way back up. It's 120 degrees. We brought one sandwich and one canteen of water each not smart. You'd think we'd know better being from Arizona, but that's what we did. We got down to the bottom of the canyon, and uh, thankfully, uh, they had had a a place to fill your canteen up, and so we we had one canteen of water on the way down from the north rim to the bottom, and then we filled our canteen up and just kind of underestimated that one canteen on the way out wasn't going to be enough, and so we're hiking and hiking and going all through the switchbacks to get all the way up to the south rim of the Grand Canyon, we run out of water. Well, find a couple of people that looked really nice, ask them if we could have some of their water. No. <laughs> you know, nobody shares water in the Grand Canyon, let me just tell you. It's kind of like being on Everest. You know, you, something goes wrong, you're freezing. They say hi to you as they walk by. And that's, that's what happened. We ran out of water. So we're at this spring, and there's this sign that says, do not drink this water. We're dying. And so what do you think we did? Well, we said, let's risk it. And we filled up from that spring and we drank the water and uh, it went okay for my brother. But for me, I started dry heaving and throwing up. I think I'd already been dehydrated by that time anyways. And so we had several miles left to go to get out of the canyon and I'm just heaving and I'm in a heap and it's going to get dark soon. Matter of fact, it did get dark. And there are snakes on the trail, and if you've been down there, there's lots of donkey dung and all kinds of stuff. And I'm just laying on the trail, groveling, dry heaving, and, and, and poisoned from that spring. Thankfully, my brother, he's a good bro, picked me up, kind of military carry, and pulled me out of that canyon. We got out about one in the morning. It took us about, I don't know, 18 hours to hike across that, that time. I'll never forget it. That's called thirst dying of thirst dying and you know when I remembered that story it it reminded me of how I can get in my own soul you know because there's there's a something that goes on within our soul that it's not it's not dying for h2o it's dying for something other than what we have and we're we're thirsty we're thirsty people I mean there's a danger when you get thirsty and you know the first danger is you you don't even know that you are You're just so stinking busy all of the time trying to do things and accomplish things and do meetings and make money and go to school and whatever it is that you do with your life, care for kids, that that we don't even know how thirsty, how dry, how parched we really are. Bill Hybels, a pastor back in Chicago, said he came to a point in his life where he realized that the pace of his life doing God's work was killing God's work in him that the pace of doing God's work was, was hurting God's work in him. You know, one thing I love about our church is that so many people serve and love to pour out of their life and help other people and just serve in various forms of ministry. Many of you serve out in the community and Various people feels like maybe you're a school teacher or you're in the medical profession and you're caring, giving caregiving there or social services, any number of things. Maybe you're an employer and you have employees, but we give a lot of care out, don't we? And to our families and to our children, to our spouses. And it's like it's constant pouring out, pouring out, pouring out. And if you're not careful, if I'm not careful, we end up after a long season of that completely dry completely dry, totally thirsty, and God's work in us can, can wane because we're so busy doing God's work in other people. I think many, many people can relate to that. We're going to look at a story this morning out of John chapter 7, and it's going to answer the question, what do you do when you're dry? What do you do when you're thirsty? How do you get your cup filled, your bucket filled again? What do you do? How do you do that? Well, Jesus actually tells us what to do. He doesn't just tell us. He shouts the answer in John chapter 7. So if you have your Bible, open it up, would you, to John chapter 7 in the gospel of John verse 1, and we'll look at where the story begins there. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Remember the kind of the the geography is that Galilee is in the north, Judea is in the south, Samaria is in the middle, people wanting to kill Jesus in the south, Jesus up in the north doing ministry. And uh, as he's up there in the north doing ministry, um, isn't it interesting, just by the way, that a lot of people have this perception of Jesus as this cool kind of hippie-like guy that everybody loves? and that people actually don't always love Jesus, there tends to be this love-hate relationship. Either people love and adore him, or people hate him and want to kill him. And that's what's going on here, especially amongst the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. They are plotting to kill him. They're looking for him. They're, They're wanting him dead. And there's this feast, the Feast of Booth, that's about to happen in Jerusalem down south. And all of his brothers and, and his various disciples want to go down south to celebrate this feast because any good Jewish man would go and take their family down to this major festival. There are three major festivals that happen in, uh, in, in, uh, with the Israelites in that day. There was the Feast of Pentecost. There was uh, the Passover. Many of us are familiar with that. And then there was the Feast of Booths, which was also referred to in some of your Bibles as the Feast of Tabernacles. It was an eight-day event, an eight-day party, a feast. There was lots of food involved, and it was a reminder time set apart for Israel to remember when God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt and and caused them to kind of go through the wilderness time for 40 years. And what they would do is they would set up these little makeshift booths or uh, shelters that each family especially the men would sleep in at night and everybody would have this huge group camp out for this festival eight days of it and they would eat and everybody staying in these little booths as a reminder of how they had to walk through the desert and god provided for them there and you can read about that in the book of exodus so verse 3 so his brothers said to him Let, let's leave here and go to judea that your disciples also may see the works you're doing for no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly and if you do these things show yourself to the world for not even his brothers believed in him now let me just point out just a kind of a little side point here that that if any of you were taught that mary never had sex i jesus had brothers Jesus actually had sisters in Mark chapter 6, verse 3. And I don't think a stork dropped him off at the door. And and she is still an amazing person. I mean, think about it. No other woman on the planet carried the Son of God, was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and and had a virgin birth. So she is still an amazing person. But we need to get the facts straight that Jesus actually was raised in a family and had brothers and had sisters. And his brothers had trouble believing in him and let's cut him a little slack i would have trouble if my brother told me he was god uh (laughs) we'll cut him a little slack it was probably difficult being raised in the same family believing that here this is the son of god so they're saying jesus why don't we go down south go down to judea and 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 do these miracles for more people so they'll see that you're god and they're thinking and we will too Verse 6, Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. And after saying this, he remained in Galilee. Jesus was saying, just go to the party, guys. Just go on down to Judea. Go down and, and celebrate the Feast of Booths I'm not going to go. Nobody's looking for you. Nobody has, has, has a contract out on your head, but they're looking for me. They want to take me out. And so his brothers take off and go down to Judea. And soon after, it says that, that Jesus himself decided, well, I think I'm going to go too, but I'm going to go quietly. I'm going to go on my own. The Holy Spirit probably was prompting him and telling him, hey, go down there. I have something for you, but I didn't want you to go in this big entourage of people. And, and so... That's exactly what happens. About halfway through the feast, which is about four days into this eight day feast, Jesus went down, he goes up to the temple courts, and he begins to teach. And the Jews are amazed. One, just that he showed. Secondly, that he teaches the scripture with power. There's something about the way he teaches that's different than all the other teachers of the law. In verse 15, they're they're wondering they're scratching their heads and they're saying how did this man get such learning without having studied well first of all how do they know he didn't study but verse 16 jesus said my teaching is not my own it comes from the one who sent me that his teachings were god-breathed they were given by the father and and he's 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 there at at the feast and the festival everyone is talking about jesus They've heard that he's now in town. They're wondering walk, they're, 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 they're wondering if He is the long-awaited Messiah, the one that everybody had been waiting for to come and save them. And everyone's curious, and Jesus is becoming the focus of the festival. And in verse 32, the Pharisees, they heard that the crowd was murmur, muttering about these things, and they're all talking and whispering about Jesus, Who is He? You know, some would say that he's this great guy. Some would say he's a prophet. Others would say, no, he's a deceiver. And everybody's interested. Everybody's talking. The Pharisees heard them muttering about it. And the chief priests and Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. I mean, it's in motion. Let's shut this guy down. Well, Jesus, his life is in danger. But somehow he eludes the arrest. And then here we go. On the last day of this Feast of Booths, on the eighth day, Jesus shows back up in this very public way. And on the very last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cries out. He shouts out the answer to our question. How how do you get full? How do you what do you do? What do you do when you're dry? What do you do when you're thirsty spiritually? And it's important because what happens at this particular feast track with me here at this at this feast the first of the 7 days of the feast of booth the priest would take a golden pitcher he would walk from the temple and he would go down to gehon spring a spring of clear water right outside of jerusalem and he would gather some water in his pitcher and he would walk back to the temple in order to pour the water out at the foot of the altar. And while they were doing this kind of water-collecting procession, they would have this large choir singing, and everybody would join in singing from Isaiah 12, verse 3, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And this passage was to remind them that while they were wandering and walking 40 years through this hot and dry desert, that God provided water from a rock. I mean, living water came from a a rock in the wilderness. So each day during this feast, the priest would collect the water from the nearby spring. Then he would pour the water out at the base of the altar as hundreds of people are singing in a choir. Trumpets are blowing. People are dancing and hooping and hollering. I mean, it's a joyous celebratory time because they're looking forward to when Messiah would come, the rock who would provide living water, and it would again flow for the kids of God. Then on the last day of the festival, the eighth day of the celebration, the buildup is there. Everyone is hot. They're tired. Everyone's wondering where Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Everyone is ready to kind of strike their their camp uh, after this eighth day. It's the big day. It's the finale moment. And they have celebrated, they've feasted, they've eaten, they've drank, and the party is about over. They're going to go back to their everyday worker lives, the emotional letdown after a big celebration like that. And the priest does his last trip from the temple, from the altar, going down to the spring, collecting the water, going back up to the temple, to the the altar, and ready to pour it back down And the trumpets blow and people begin to sing. And then there's this quiet, hushed moment. And Jesus, he cries out. He shouts in a loud voice. Is anyone thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. In other words, he's saying, I am the rock of salvation that will provide that living water for your soul. I'm the fulfillment of that promise. The Holy Spirit is that water. If anyone is tired trying to fill themselves up and always coming up empty, if anyone feels restless and wondering, is there more, is there more purpose than what I'm living? If anyone's trapped in an addiction, wanting to be set free. If anyone is dry spiritually, longing for more of God. If anyone feels passionate about making a difference in the world, but just feels powerless to make lasting change. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. Let him drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart, will flow living water. How much? Rivers of living water. Not just droplets. Rivers. How do you drink? How do you get this water? How do you have access to that? By believing. Believing in Jesus and receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive... For as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. See, Jesus was saying, I am that living water poured out for many. I'm the fulfillment of the promise. I'm going to die for your sins, and I will rise again, and then I'll be seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Holy Spirit will be poured out into your life. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians that water flowed from that rock and that rock was Christ. The water was symbolic of the Holy Spirit being poured out for the refreshing and the nourishing and the cleansing of our sin. Coming through Jesus Christ. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, you'll remember, he was hanging there for our sins and a soldier pierced his side and out of his side flowed water. Because of his death, the Holy Spirit was literally poured out for us. Not drops, but streams of living water. See, being filled with the Spirit, being baptized with God's Spirit, gives us that access to a flow, a flow, rivers of living water flowing through our soul, filling us up. When we come to church, we have that opportunity to be filled up. When we spend daily time with God, just in a quiet place, it's an opportunity to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. When we worship Jesus, when we love him, we declare praises to him. It's another opportunity to allow God to pour back in to our lives and be filled or refilled with the Spirit. You see, it's not a one-time experience. It's something that is rivers and so it's ongoing it's something that we're filled and then we're refilled and refilled again ephesians 5 verse 18 says don't get drunk with wine in other words that's not what's going to fill you but be filled with the holy spirit be being filled is what the actual uh what what it actually means is it's this ongoing refilling of god's spirit so how does that happen I mean, do you have to go to this incredible Christian rock concert? Do you need an individual that's known for a big ministry to come and lay hands on you, to pray for you? Do you need a powerful church service to get filled with the Holy Spirit? What do you need? Well, the first thing you need is to know how thirsty you are. The first thing any of us needs is to know God, I am thirsty. I've got to pull back from all of my busyness and all of the stuff that I've been filling into my life, trying to fill that that void and and take care of that thirst, and I've got to pull back, and and I've got to just recognize. Jesus asked the question, are you thirsty? Is anyone thirsty? And if you're thirsty, you've got to be honest with that. Recognize that. Get out of that regular routine of busyness and spend some time with God. I'm I'm personally going to dedicate uh, the month of June to do that. Just each morning, trying to wake up a, a li- and spend a little more time than I normally would, because it means getting out of just your normal routine. Some of you are uh, reading through the Bible, which I'm trying to do that as well through the year and doing okay with it. And 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 don't give up because if you if if you miss some, just keep going. Don't don't get guilty. Setting that time aside with God is such a great thing each day. But in being filled or refilled with the Holy Spirit, I personally think it means getting out of some of our normal rhythms. In other words, just don't rely on that alone. Spend some additional time with God. It's His Word that gives you bread, and it's His Spirit that is that water to your soul. And we need both. We need both. How thirsty are you? What can you do this week to ask God? God, I am thirsty. Yes, I qualify. I'm thirsty. And I need you to pour your spirit into me and refill me, rebaptize me, re-empower me. We have been working on the field in back of us here, the grassy weed field that uh, we converted to a beautiful... We're going to convert to a beautiful green grass. The vision is for the whole area to be this beautiful sports field. If you haven't been driven by, you'll want to look at that back here. Uh, but it's, we've kind of uh, rounded the edges of, of the hillside so that it flows into a large open area that will be a sports field. There'll be a gazebo there, and kind of the wooded area will be like a nature park. And our first priority is just to get green grass going, because we want it there for VBS, which is the first week of August so we're kind of touch and go on that. We're a little behind the curve. So we tilled the soil. We picked up the rocks. We excavated the hillside. We hydro the whole thing. And the seed mixture is this bluegrass and ryegrass. It needs to germinate over the next three weeks. And so nobody's supposed to walk on it. If you walk on it, we'll have to kill you. Uh, <laughs> the key, though, what I'm told, is to have it watered six times a day. Six times a day. Uh, because in order to start something brand new, it needs some extra water. It needs to always be moist. And uh, isn't that true in our spiritual life? I mean, if you want something new to germinate in your soul, you need more water than normal, more of God's Spirit. That means limiting the foot traffic of busyness and the things that we turn to to fill our emptiness. Getting rid of that and allowing God to fill us. Spending time with God and more than normal. Opening our spirit to that filling or refilling of his spirit. Not just to make me feel better. Not just so so that I have goosebumps. But God fill me so that I can pour out to other people. So that I can be there fully engaged with my family. Pouring out into my relationship with my wife or with my kids or my grandchildren or at work or at school or whatever ministry you may be involved in in order to be engaged, loving, caring, giving, serving with the right motive, with the right heart. It takes God's spirit filling us up. We're like sponges that we need to be filled with his spirit and then we pour out into other people. And then we get refilled with his spirit and then we pour out into other people. God wants to do that. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth, being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. So why? So they could be poured out to the nations. So that they could be God's witnesses, serving, caring for, loving, declaring the gospel around the world. To be filled with God's love so that we could serve our community. To be filled and refilled by spending time with Jesus, believing and receiving. So here's what I want to encourage you to do. Set time aside this week. Pull aside. Turn the television off at night. Put your iPhone down. That's like this permanent fixture on your hand. Just put it down. Turn it off. Just spend some extra time. See, we have to go to God and say, God, I am thirsty, and I'm here, and I'm available for you to pour into me. And then, and then we we just ask Him in faith, Lord, would you fill me? Would you baptize me fresh in your Spirit? Fill those thirsty areas where I'm thirsty relationally or I'm thirsty uh, spiritually or I'm, I'm just thirsty and I'm turning to other things. And there's this time of confession that goes with that prayer, a time of repentance, a time where we go, God, I've been turning to this, or I've been trying to, to get it fixed by just staying busy all of the time or by going out and purchasing things that I really don't even have money to buy. I'm just restless and I'm thirsty. What would happen If we went beyond just doing God's work, letting God start a fresh work in us, what would happen? I mean, that's the very best thing that you can give to your wife or your husband. That's the best thing that you can give to your children, to your students, to your employees, to your teammates, to those that you work in ministry with. The very best thing you can give them is a full you filled up with the Holy Spirit, filled up with God's presence, a watered soul. So that it's, they don't need more of your time and, and, and more of your energy as much as they just need you to be a cool, fresh spring in their lives. And as a church, the best thing we can do for our community is to be filled up with God so that we have His love and we have His joy, that as we serve and pour out, that we're doing it for the right reasons. We're doing it with the right heart. We're not just doing it out of obligation. I'll tell you what will happen. I'll tell you what will happen if we're all filled with the Holy Spirit and refilled and and just spend this month of June just letting God pour into us and calling out on his name and asking for that. I'll tell you what will happen is that people all over Spokane will come to the fountain to drink. See, if each one of us represent That fountain where we're being filled, and we're ready to pour out. See, people are broken. People are dry. People are very, very thirsty. When we say, Lord, fill me up so that you can pour me out, that is a prayer that God honors, and he answers, and he unleashes his grace, not only in your life, but in our whole community. We become what the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah 35. Blind eyes will be opened. Deaf ears unstopped. Lame men and women will leap like deer. The voiceless break into song. Springs of water will burst out in the wilderness. Streams flow in the desert. Hot sands will become a cool oasis. And thirsty ground, a splashing fountain. Let's be those kind of people. Let's be that kind of church. Let's pray together. Lord God, we... We just want to come to you and start this new process, this new openness, this new journey of allowing you to fill us and refresh us and renew us. Lord, we lead very busy lives, sometimes too busy. And for that, Lord, we're asking that you forgive us. And we're asking, Lord, that you begin to identify in us those distractions and those things that we have been turning to, to bring a fullness that does not work so that we can turn away from it and we can turn to you God the fountain that river of living water and we can invite your work into our lives Lord we need that wouldn't you agree friend you need that I need that God would you please do that in me God I am thirsty I'm thirsty for you God I want more of you in my life and And it starts, if you're here and you're not a Christian, it starts with becoming a Christian. It starts with allowing Jesus and what he did on the cross affect your life. That's where you get the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And just invite him into your life. Say, yes, God. Yes, Jesus. I place my faith and trust in you and what you did on the cross. Forgive my sins. And help me now get out of the way and allow a whole fresh flood of your spirit and your grace to flow through my life. Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you know what it's like to be filled with his spirit and you're just weary, you're tired. You've been pouring out for a long extended season of time. God wants to pour into you. He wants to give you that river of, of living water that flows through your soul. But it means changing some things up. It means not just in your typical routine and pattern, but saying, first of all, Lord, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. I am desperate for you. Show me now, Lord, how to go about these next several weeks seeking you, opening my spirit to you, calling out to you inviting you to fill me fresh and new. Lord, not so that I can just be selfish, but that I can pour out more effectively, more powerfully, more lovingly. To everyone around me. So Lord, would you please do that in each one of us today and in the weeks to come. We thank you for that. We thank you for your grace. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen.